Hey, good morning, and welcome to The Jarek Show. This morning, we have a very special episode because we got rid of Javad, <laughs> at least for the week. We're going to see how this plays out. Um, all this, and uh, we got some really interesting stories coming on about QR codes. You may have seen that during the Super Bowl. We've got issues with Venmo and stuff like that. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. All right, James, and welcome back to the show. We've had you here before. Um, I'm going to warn everybody right now, this is live, and I have no idea what I'm doing in this platform. So far, I've been hanging on by a thread. We actually got it to work, um, intro videos and all, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, pretty soon, I think maybe we can get rid of Javad altogether. What do you think, James? I'm sure. I, you know, it can still be called the Jarek Show because James oh, and Eric, James you know? and Eric. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, um, Javad and I were very creative when we came up with the name for this uh, the Jarek Show, the Javad and Eric Show. Um, I don't know why he got first billing other than he's kind of sneaky like that, but it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here we are, James. How have you been? How are things going for you? I'm doing well, keeping busy. Uh, you know, it's interesting. If it wasn't the Jarek show, it could be it would be the uh, Aravad show, and that just doesn't sound right. You know, that's no, no, weird. no, that's too hard to spell too. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> people have yeah. trouble mispronouncing it already. So. so, James, you you're you're kind of famous uh, within our little group as the dad joke guy. So throw one at me here, real quick. I, throw I wanna, one at I you. I want to see what people. I want to show people what we have to deal with on a daily basis. All right. So we'll give you a good one to start with. Um, do you know why mountains are funny? Why? Because they're hill areas. Hilarious. All right. So here comes another one at you for oh, you. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> so here's another one for you. Um, I don't know if anybody heard, but here in Orlando, uh, a bunch of people broke into the police station. They stole all the toilets. The cops have nothing to go on. Okay, folks, so that'll be enough of that, first of all, James. Uh, folks, you see what it is that we have to deal with on a daily basis here. Um, this is uh, Javad and I's colleague and friend, James, and he... Oh, God, not another one. No, no, no. One more. No, it's oh. dad jokes told oh, oh, yeah, dad jokes. Okay, all right. Well, that's not the finger <laughs> I'm used to you showing to me. Um, so it, it threw me a little bit. Anyways, uh, so folks, we got some very interesting stories here today. Um, very, very interesting stuff. And let's start off with this one here. James, this was, uh, oops, let's go. Let's see if I don't close this out. I told you I'm new to this. Um, okay. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I was trying to make it a little bit easier for us to read. There we go. All right. So, James, this was your story. The U.S. DOJ announces a leader for new FBI crypto unit. What is this crypto unit and what is going on here? Yeah, this one's really interesting. I read this this morning originally in the Wall Street Journal and then went and found another article so that we could display it here. Uh, but the the whole thing with uh, the FBI and they're going to stand up a specific cryptocurrency unit that goes after the, the cryptocurrency servers that are all around the world. They found in previous operations, it's a lot easier to take down the where the money goes to. Uh, than it is to try and go after the cyber criminals because a lot of the time they're in countries where they're not going to extradite them or it's a tough working relationship with them already. 
this kind of came about because back when you, and I know you guys have talked about it before, but the Kaseya attack, um, the FBI actually got a hold of the decryption key, but they were holding onto it because they were trying to launch a, an attack against uh, the, well, not an attack per se, but uh, a raid against the, the, the cyber criminals themselves. And they were kind of holding on to it while you had organizations that were struggling with that ransomware attack via Kaseya with the Revel group and, or are evil, depending on how you say it. And so it eventually got out that they'd been holding onto it for about two weeks before they finally released it. Yeah. And so the DOJ is kind of, they're shifting the focus a little bit. Yes, they still want to go after a lot of the cyber criminals, but they're realizing it's a really difficult to do that. So what they want to do now is kind of focus on helping organizations. So if they're able to get the decryption keys or able to get information that can help organizations here in the US, they're going to get it to them as quick as possible and help them here and then work on trying to prosecute afterwards. So this is kind of that first step with regards to um, doing that and uh, solving the cybercrime issues that we've got here in the US. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is interesting to see this kind of getting involved. I mean, crypto has obviously become a, a, a just a day-to-day -day sort of thing we talk about all the time. Right. Um, and, and as much as, you know, I like to think of, uh, think of it as being benign. I mean, let's admit it. Crypto is kind of the key to ransomware it, mm -hmm. without Bitcoin, without uh, that, it would not have gotten to the point where we are now because, you know, it's very easy to demand $50 million in Bitcoin. But if we go back to what they were doing, it would be a lot harder to get $50 million in gift cards. Right? Exactly. So, yep. I mean, yep. we, we've kind of, uh, crypto has kind of enabled this in a pretty significant way because before crypto, before that really took off, they were asking for gift cards. Ransomware was a thing, but it wasn't anywhere like what it is right now. And so it's really kind of changed the game. And, and I think we're lagging a little bit on, on that side of things as far as uh, taking that down. So this is a step in that direction. Yep. Um, I did think it was interesting. You know, it's, it's talking about Russia, which is uh, let's go ahead and step into this next story. 74% of ransomware revenue goes to Russia linked hackers. Now, this was an interesting story. And what it's saying is, ultimately, it ends up in Russia. So they don't know necessarily because ransomware is a service is such a thing. So the affiliates end up getting some of this stuff. But ultimately, and those affiliates can be anywhere, but ultimately, it ends up in Russia, 74%. Now, the question is, how much of this is hype and how much of it is real? But what do you think, James? Do you, do you think we could really be 74% of ransomware revenue going to Russia? I have to imagine that a fair chunk of it goes to it. Uh, you know, when you think about all the, the cyber attacks that we're hearing about that are coming out of, you know, coming out of those nation states like Russia, like China. Um, yeah. So when the and as we were just talking about with the cryptocurrency, the money is uh, kind of the key thing there. And it's a lot easier for them to get the money. So, yeah, I certainly have to imagine, you know, you look at those different groups, the cyber criminal groups, they're based out of Russia. You've got North Korea as well that's in there, China, um, you know, and, you know, you know, for years, Russia's denied that they're harboring hackers. You know, I, I well, kind of, yeah. you know, the funny thing is, is the U.S., I know here in the U.S., we've got our own group of hackers as well, um, you know, 
authorized the, the white hats and and the uh, the not so white hats uh, where yeah i mean essentially you know we've got hackers in the us and they've got hackers over in russia and we're working to try and get ours arrested and hopefully we would imagine that russia is kind of doing the same thing as well but um yeah i i, I got to imagine with all the different cyber criminal groups out there uh, i got to imagine a large amount of that money is is ending up over in russia because they're essentially moving it around through the different crypto exchanges. So if they can figure out how to stop it there, then that'll be a good dent. So I, I thought this was interesting, this little picture and, and story piece in here mm -hmm. about how, uh, you know, Russia dismantled uh, Revol. Um, right. And, and I thought that this was interesting. And the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, this is FSB and, and Russia. And so I'm thinking, you know, this is like when we put a man on the moon, right? It's all staged. Right. We, we can all agree we never made it to the moon. Right. Isn't that uh, no. But, uh, you know, it, it is interesting to see this happen uh, in the midst of all this. Now, uh, I saw something in this story up here that I thought was we, we've talked about this before, and that is things like this ransomware code written to prevent it from damaging files of it detects it's located in Russia or CIS country. Yeah. In other words, we've seen it where if a Cyrillic keyboard is installed it won't launch the ransomware. Which is interesting, yeah. It is. It's a very interesting thing that we see that happen. Now, um, they were saying like Germany is, uh, I believe, like number two for the number, which surprised me uh, to see that much going back because we don't really hear a lot about German uh, cybercrime groups in, in ransomware. But it is interesting to see that. And there's a lot of money that's that's happening out there, that's moving around out there. Yep. So. Yeah, it's certainly the case is like I mentioned with the crypto exchanges, you know, those are constant. There's hundreds and thousands of them already out there uh, or maybe just thousands. But uh, the basically trying to bounce the money around from location to location, divvy it up. So that way it gets it even harder to track. Uh, so that way they can either then usually send their money mules to go get it because they certainly don't want to be the ones going to pick up the money because they know it's probably being traced. So. Well, and interestingly enough, there's uh, Bitcoin mixers out there. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen those where basically you can dump a Bitcoin into something. And what it does is, it, you know, you can break down a Bitcoin into tiny little pieces. So you drop it into this mixer for a fee. Um, you can even stagger it over time where the money gets moved out to different Bitcoin wallets. It's basically laundered through that. And I was going to say, you, yeah. Yeah, you put it into this mixer. Uh, and the fact is a little bit comes out at a time. So it's not like you see a transaction go in from a wallet and then a transaction go out, which would be easy to follow. This stuff just kind of spreads it out over time. And so we all know that, you know, these these cryptocurrency wallets, we can see what happens with them. That's open. That's out there. That's on the blockchain. Um, the problem is when we start mixing stuff up like this, uh, we don't know what's connected to what, what may be legit and what's not. So. Right. Yeah, there's a whole economy out there uh, dealing with stuff like that. So now we've talked a bit about ransomware. So mm -hmm. let's move on to one of our other favorite subjects, and that is cons, scams. City of Baltimore, conned out of $375,000. Now, here's the thing. I read this story, and frankly, I, I can't blame Baltimore necessarily for what's happened here. Um, this is, a, this is a, a, a business email compromise scam. This is where a uh, a vendor's email account was taken over. And so um, what they did is they basically did one of these, let's change the EFT stuff. Let's 
let's change where payments go to. And it came from the vendor side. So the vendor tells the, you know, the city, hey, we need to send some money over this way. Well, there was a, one of the banks rejected it. They ended up sending another thing. There was a couple couple steps they went through, but eventually they got about $375,000 moved out. Um, now, unfortunately, you know, what we saw here is uh, when it's all said and done, the vendor is yet to be paid by the city, but did get 50000 from its insurance mm -hmm. company. Again, I want to point out, though, this isn't on the city, right? The, the vendor's stuff was compromised. And so the city did what was what was asked from a legitimate email address. And I believe there was even a phone call and some um, proof of ownership of the uh, the account that was probably fraudulent as well. But it's not like the city did zero due diligence here. So I do kind of hate the fact that they're calling out the city's name here um, for Baltimore. But ultimately, we see this kind of stuff happen all the time. Right, James? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and it's interesting that they only got 375,000. I mean, it's a $30 billion industry that's been going on for years. Uh, 375K is a little drop in the bucket, but uh, even still, you know, $375,000 for, well, I'm not sure how many hours worth of work, but it certainly, uh, you know, it probably didn't take them a year to get in there. Uh, but uh, getting into that system using, the actual, I mean, compromising the actual vendor and then having, you know, the new credentials, that's, you know, that's the standard SOP for the way that works. You know, checks and balances are always important, especially when it comes to account changes. It shouldn't just be an email, you know, hey, here's our new account information. No, no, there should be a portal. There should be some other verification. But it sounds like they I probably called up and said, hey, we just sent you the new account information and made it look spoofed phone number, had some verified information based on open source intelligence with regards to that vendor. So that's pretty easy to do, but there should be some additional checks and balances like, you know, only this person's authorized or the, from this email address. And that's all part of that vendor third party setup that they should have. And within contract discussions and once well, it's set up, have some sort of verification process when account change. It's an interesting discussion because how much of that is the city's responsibility versus the people whose email account was actually compromised? So it came from there. The city asked them. They There were phone calls involved. There was some um, obviously counterfeit information given to prove ownership of the account to the other side. I mean, when you're dealing with vendors, can you imagine how many vendors the, the city of Baltimore deals with? When you have that many vendors all the time that you're dealing with, at some point in time, it, it almost becomes so much work to deal with something like this that it ends up costing them more, right? And ultimately, right. Um, ultimately, they paid their monies that was done for a job, and they're, it's not costing the city anymore, really. That that falls True. now on the other side. That's why they got fifty thousand of the insurance back. Right. Um, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, this is more. A, a fault of the vendor and not protecting email and and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes these scams are just to the point that, you know what, we can put up all these controls, but it ends up being more costly to do all these controls than it's really worth in what we're preventing. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, with this organization, with the city of Baltimore, you know, that kind of an organization, you know, the municipalities, the small governments, um, city governments, you know, we know they don't have a lot of big budgets. Yeah. Um, to go out. But if you have an environment where you're accepting account changes through email, 
with all your vendors, that's a lot of work for one person. If you can have some sort of portal environment or some policy or something to be able to protect your vendors as well as you, or even if you're the vendor going in and you're working with somebody and it's, what's the process for changing account? And it's like, Oh, just send us an email. You know, we've seen you and I both have seen so many different scams that have gone on because of it was through an email, whether legit or not. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that needs to be checked uh, within organizations. Granted, easier said than done. But yeah, well, in a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we saw this uh, happen to what was it, Google and Facebook, that hundred million dollars. Right. Right. So this guy um, offshore spun up some uh, some businesses offshore that looked very similar in name to some vendors that these that, that Google and Facebook, I believe it was, worked with. Right. And so he spun up legitimate businesses offshore. I mean, somewhat legitimate. They they had all the paperwork involved, right? Right. And then right. he just fired them invoices and said, okay, here's an invoice. Here's an invoice. Here's an invoice from these lookalike companies. And a hundred million dollars was paid to this guy. I think it was the Lithuanian guy. Yep. A hundred million dollars paid to him just off sending in invoices. And finally they, they realized that things weren't, weren't matching, but that's a lot of money to be spending and and not associating an invoice with work product and things like that. So in my opinion, that was more on the companies than in my opinion, Baltimore was at least Baltimore tried to do a few things. Yeah. I mean, I worked in a bank for about four years and as back in early days of college. And one of the things I always remember was your credits had to line up with your debits. Right. Um, And so again, easier said than done. But as a teller, the credit's coming in, the debit's going out, they all got to line up. Basic accounting, right? Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of scams and cons, did you watch the Super Bowl? There was Uh, what? The the Superb Owl? Yeah. yeah, Superb Owl, is that what it was? Oh, okay. Well, I got to tell you, um, about the time this ad came up, it was a 60-second ad of nothing but a QR code bouncing around on the screen. And I swear to you, there was a small tremor in the earth from like hundreds of thousands of security people groaning outwardly at the same time. I I was looking at my wife. I just kept looking at her like this. No, are you kidding me? Like really? Come on, man. QR code. Right. And and, and did you notice that the QR code was bouncing around like the old DVD video logo from years ago? I was watching it intently going, is it going to hit the corner? Is it going to hit the corner? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And those that didn't have their phone out, um, a lot of them were thinking the same thing. Um, But, you know, this, this is just such a, such a bad thing to, to do. Okay. And, and and I know I may sound tinfoil hatty here, but for the love of all that's good in the world, let's not train people, especially people dealing in crypto, to run around and scan random QR codes with their phones and follow the links. I mean, this is this is just bad practice. And as much as crypto is targeted by scams and things like this, for Coinbase to put this out there and just do that, to me, it was kind of mind-boggling. Now, a lot of the friends that that I have that are not security professional friends that saw this, well. They uh, they were like, well, I don't get the big deal. Well, and I I get that, but it, in this case, you know, yeah, they spent a lot of money on this ad. But when you click on this, you follow it to a website that you don't know. A, you're teaching people that this is normal. This is normalizing scanning these things, and right. B, 
anytime you go to a website, I mean, you run the chance of, of at the very least, getting some cookies dropped on, some tracking, some information um, being pulled on you. Worst case, it sends you to a malicious website. Like not too long ago, we saw in one of the cities where people were putting up fake QR codes on the parking meters and then basically scamming people out of money or stealing their credit card information based on QR codes on parking meters. And then this, what, what do you think, James? So, and I've talked about QR codes for years as well. And, you know, they're a very convenient and useful tool to have, but there has to be some, some parameters and some things that have to be included. When you see the QR code, in my opinion, what they should do underneath it is display what's the website you're going to see. Because when you, because whether I use my burner phone or my iPhone, you know, when I hold it up, it pops up and I get the display of what the website is. With this particular advert, you know, people just hold up the phone and going, oh, let's check it out. There's a certain level of trust and verify that goes along with it. Yeah. So you could have, they could have had the website underneath it, but then it might give, ironically, it's going to give away, oh, it's Coinbase. Okay. Well, I don't, you know, www.coinbase.com or whatever the address was. Um, you know, but then again, yes, cyber criminals could do the same thing by putting the stickers on the parking meters or you have them in restaurants or in shops. I've heard of one particular retailer. They're going to do away with price tags on everything. And if you want to see what the price is, you're going to have to scan the barcode using the store's app. Twofold on that. One, you could easily replace that, um, the QR code, but you need the app to be able to read it. But if you know what the website is or what you're expecting to see, then that can add a little extra verification on there. Um, so you don't end up falling for what is now going to be probably be called uh, kishing or quishing or something. We, we got to add something ishing to these things. I mean, we just, we just do, we're not very creative as, as a community, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and I like in this story, you know, they're talking about one of the risks here is, you know, people do repost Super Bowl ads forever. Right. Yeah. And so, you hit this on social media, you replace that QR code with your own and start popping it out there. You could send people to wherever you wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so people, you know, they pick this up and go on. I mean, this is just, uh, it's just bad form. And I thought we were done with QR codes years ago. Yeah. Right? So there for a while they were popping up and I remember the marketing team going, we're not putting QR codes on anything. They're dead. Nobody uses QR codes. And you used to have to like download a QR code reader but now phones do it automatically, automatically in the um, camera. Yep. Yeah. We see things like I said, with uh, paying your, uh, your parking and how many times now since COVID have we gone into a restaurant and there's a QR code that you scan to see the menu yep. or even pay your bill. So too, yeah. as, as a, as a cyber criminal, as a criminal, if I take one of those sheets, replace the QR code with my own that has a fake screen or a fake website intermediary, I can capture all that kind of information too, just by printing these out and leaving them around at, at these, uh, at the yeah. restaurants as well and replacing yeah. a couple of the legitimate ones. And people would never, ever know. I mean, QR codes in my mind are the devil. I don't like QR codes. Um, it would be nice if we truly were rid of them, but unfortunately, unlike Javad, they keep coming back. <laughs> no, like Javad. Like oh, yeah, like Javad. Yeah. So and, and, and pennies, right? You know, they keep turning up. Yeah, like a bad penny. Exactly. So uh, one more thing, I one more story. I thought this was very interesting. Um, 
if you use Venmo or anything under the umbrella of Plaid. Now, Plaid is is Venmo. It's a whole bunch of different um, uh, different groups here. Okay, so you know, uh, American Express, Robinhood, Alley, Capital One, City, Rocket Loans, TDI, Ameritrade, Venmo, Wells Fargo apps. Um, a, Plaid is. It's kind of like the meta over Facebook and all of this stuff that lives on it, right? So it's just an umbrella company. It's huge. Um, but what happened here is they basically got in trouble through through the Venmo side. And what was happening is when you go to a, attach an account to your Venmo account, um, it looked like you were giving your bank credentials to the bank website. They made it look like the bank website. Now, I would argue on the other side that perhaps that's to make people feel comfortable to recognize, okay, yeah, this is, this is my bank that I'm doing it at or whatever. But ultimately it was kind of tricky because they didn't realize that they were actually giving their credentials to Venmo, not the bank itself. And what Venmo did according to this was they basically went through and then looked at all the transactions and stuff like this and sold that information. Ooh. That is not generally a good thing. So that kind of information is very valuable to marketing organizations and stuff like that. Oh, what are they spending their money on? Well, they're spending their money on this, on that. They're, you know, and so that kind of information is is valuable. And it wasn't well, it wasn't well said what was going on. So now what's happened is they've basically they've lost this $58 million settlement that um, if you use one of these apps, apparently you're going to be able to uh, get something out of it. We all know how this works. The lawyers get $57.8 million of the settlement and the other 10 million people get a penny a piece. Um, but I'll, I'm going to link this. This will be in the show notes too. I'm going to link this. Uh, if you want to go check it out and see if, if you fall under one of these and then perhaps you can, you can follow this down, but James, have you ever used Venmo? Do you use any of these things? I do use Venmo. It's great for uh, paying my cat sitter, uh, but oh. yeah, you know, and it, it links to, but I don't use plaid. So, but um, uh, you know, it's interesting when you've got the convenience and that's what a lot of people prefer. That's what they like to, is that having that convenience? It's like, okay, great. It's all integrated. I just, I'll give my credentials. In this case, it was not done appropriately. But that data that you talk about that's being collected, that's pretty well, you know, gold. That's the new oil. You know, yeah. data is a moneymaker. Collecting all that data on millions and millions of people, the demographic, demographics, where they're spending the money, how much is being spent, you know, uh, and comparing that to, you know, different parts of the country or locations or whatever else. Yeah, that's huge for marketers. And we have a lot of good friends who are mar in marketing, so uh, not, uh, not not shining a bad light on the marketing folks, but to them, that is how that they can use that. But it's it, we have to make sure that the data is collected uh, hey. legally, appropriately, and used for the right reasons. I've been saying for a long time, marketing is creepy. I've told marketing <laughs> people, the stuff you do is creepy. Like, <laughs> yep. You know, it, it is. It really is. <laughs> um, they're, the same tactics that cyber criminals use are used by pretty much every marketing department out there. I mean, let's be honest. Um, it, it's a matter of good or evil, I suppose. Yep. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, as, as we heard this morning, PR, 
public relations are the people that start the fires. Marketing are the ones that fan the flames, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's, that's how these things work. So anyways, yeah. Interesting week in, uh, in all the cybers stuff. Um, James, so uh, one of the things I've always been curious though, is with all this cryptocurrency, um, you know, all this cybercrime and stuff goes on out there. Why haven't we ever seen Superman help fight us, fight this cybercrime? It's probably because he's afraid of cryptocurrency. And on that note, um, I realize it is actually kind of, it's kind of satisfying when Javad does that. I, I see why he does that to me every week now. Um, but um, we're just going to have no more of that stuff going on this week. Anyways, thank you for joining us here at the Jarek Show. I will be putting out this, uh, the, the show notes. We'll have all the stories that we link to this week. And uh, hopefully if things go well, we won't have Javad on next week either. Goodbye and, and thank you for joining us. Take care.